This is Reynolds Podcast, The Creative Mindset. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Creative Mindset, a podcast about what the future holds at the intersection of creativity and technology. I am Reina Moro, the founding partner of IONCO, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. One of the ongoing themes and challenges I've seen in the creative and technology industries is the tension between what I would call creatives versus capitalists. Creatives, if a given business were up to us, would spend as much time and money as we would want when making things. On the other hand, capitalists would want to make things as cheaply and as efficiently as possible. Of course, this is a generalization, but we've seen in Hollywood and writers' strike in the recent past, writers, i.e., creatives, have been demanding better pay, better working conditions, and protections of their jobs against AI, while executives are trying to get away with lesser pay and using AI to generate content. Today's guest, Tara Tan, is a creative turned capitalist. She runs her own venture capital firm, Strange Ventures, out of San Francisco, which she founded in 2022. Strange Ventures invests in game changing ideas before anyone else by focusing on AI infrastructure and evolution of human creativity. Before that, she honed her investing chops at the global design and strategy firm IDO, where she achieved a top quartile track record investing companies like River Financial, Near Protocol, Worlds, and Stability AI. Prior to investing, Tara led design at a deep tech manufacturing startup and founded an interactive media company that created the world's first location based game in 2012. She graduated from Harvard Business School with a master's degree in design studies. My conversation with Tara had a different beat in that I wanted to know more and more about the venture capital world, so you'll hear me asking her quite a few times can you give me specific examples? It was really fascinating. So let's get started. Tara, good to see you. Good to see you. Great to see you. Where do we find you? Right now, I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've been living here since, I want to say, 2015. Yeah, so I have to say, we don't know each other too well, to be honest. You were kind enough to, to randomly reach out to me, I think on LinkedIn, if I remember correctly, and not too long ago.、Uh -huh. Yeah,、uh, a few months ago. You know, it might have been this podcast or something related to this podcast. Yeah. It was the creative mindset. I think it maybe was shared by someone in my network. And it might have been about creativity and business.、Mm. I can't remember which episode it was,、mm. but it struck me. And then I started、um, digging in into the host, which was you, and、uh, just immediately gravitated to the world that you were in, which was the mixture of creativity、um, and business and entrepreneurship、um, mm. that drew me in. And that's why I reached out. Wow, that's a, that's a nice <laughs> ego boost. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well, it,、uh, it makes it worth it to,、uh, to be doing this podcast. So, but again, just to、um, get right into it,、um, like I said earlier, I was really interested in the fact that you started your career as a designer, as a creative,、uh, and then you eventually went into running a venture team. At IDO, which is a, a very well established design company, obviously. And then in 2020, 2022, you started your own、uh, venture capital、uh, firm. So tell us about your transition. You know, why, why did you go from making things into investing into things?、Mm, I almost broke up with art. 
as you can see. And I kind of like, you know, it was a very, because art was so all consuming for me. It, when you are an artist in that, in that creative mindset, in that creative mindset, it's all consuming. That's all you are. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to leverage other tools to create more impact. I was frustrated a little bit. And I think that was a very conscious decision for me. Oh, when, when was that specifically? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I'm curious. Was there like a, a moment? It was at Harvard. Hmm. Yeah, it was at Harvard. It was a very painful, actually a two-year-long process where, hmm, yeah, it was a moment. I was like, I'm going to break up with you. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it was a two-year-long yeah. breakup process. I probably sound really insane, but it was uh, a, a very emotional decision for me. Um, oh. Because in some ways, I felt like I was meant to do it in some ways, that sort of creative um Oh. process and your creative sort of uh life sure um but i also knew that uh i wanted to do a lot more and so right, right. yeah it was a very conscious decision were there like external forces that you were feeling external pressures or forces that that, that were on you you know i think it was a very self-motivated desire to have more impact mm. and you know maybe thinking back i, I probably could have as much impact if I stayed in art. Mm. Uh, but I think I was um, a little frustrated sometimes because uh, you know, I felt like I was speaking to the same audience and the messages and the the things that I advocated for that I believed in, I felt wasn't getting through mm. to the world. And so that's why I kind of made that decision. Mm. <laughs> I found the fact that you you started your career in design and now you are a venture capitalist and you know you run all your own own firm so tell tell us a little bit about yourself i started off as a creative uh, as a designer uh, i've worn many hats in the first chapter of my career i was a journalist uh, at a newspaper i'm dating myself but this was actual actually you know a print newspaper in uh, in singapore right in singapore yes so i was uh, i was a reporter for about 2 years uh, hard-hitting, you know, sort of like uh, pure journalism, uh, you know, got my beats, got my stories, learned to ask, ask really tough questions and get answers really quickly. And then that sort of forms uh, what I do today. Um, I was an artist and creative, uh, did large-scale installation projects using technology, and that's where I fell into uh, the, the effect and impact of uh, of technology on culture, society, the world, um, human civilization. And that sort of obsession, um, you know, sort of has followed me over the last 15 years till today. Mm. Um, so long story short, I joined IDEO in 2015 to lead their venture studio. Um, this was a new initiative within IDEO, which IDEO is a global design and strategy firm where we started digging into, um, you know, the frontiers of emergent technology. So in 2015, we were working with Web3, blockchain, and AI, exploring these use cases with a lot of our clients and corporate clients and startup founders. And we were building alongside um, these founders. So, you know, for example, uh, the very first NFT standard was actually written at the IDEO offices. We were drafting it with the engineers mm. who came through. Yeah, we were right there. Wow. We had no idea it was going to blow up six months later. Everyone was talking about NFTs and we were like, what? Right. This was a nerdy project in a room with, you know, with a couple of designers and engineers, um, helped ship the second DAP on Ethereum, really wrangling with the, 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 the complex tech problems that we had and yeah. trying to make it usable with, through design. Um, but it was in that where, um, you know, my love for, for venture really began. Mm. 
And I think that there's such an advantage uh, in being a designer and having a creative background mm. because the speed at which, which you learn. So one thing they don't say is that venture capital, um, most investors learn on hindsight. So that means they write a check, they invest in startups, and they often learn months or even years after the investment is written. Mm. Right. You get feedback on how the, the company is doing, their next round, uh, so on and so forth. When you're building alongside the founders, um, as a, as a designer and creative and an investor, you get, you get, uh, sort of real time insights and feedback from how the company's doing, um, investable opportunities, areas not to invest in, um, you know, missing parts of the stack. Yeah. And I think that really led to, um, uh, the success of the funds that we ran at IDEO because mm. we really had this sort of studio plus fund model that was very highly complementary. Mm. It gave us um, a lot of uh, credibility with the founders. Um, it informed our investment decisions. It gave us, um, you know, sort of insights that we couldn't get just mm. from the public market because, you know, it was so, it was so early. Uh, and I think that just gave us uh, an advantage um, you know, and, and our fund is still performing really well yeah, even yeah. right now in a bull market, yeah. in a bear market. Yeah. I am building the fund from ground up. Uh, and I would say some days it feels harder than, than doing a startup and building one. But, you know, we're really building a firm that would um, hopefully outlast even me. You know, I want to build a generational yeah. firm. Um, and I think the reason why I started Strange, um, and I'll go back a little bit to, you know, sort of my creative background, is that I feel like design is so under leveraged in venture. Um, some of the biggest breakthroughs that we've seen in startups um, have just have great design. You know, Google Google wasn't the first. It wasn't actually even the best at search when it started, um, but they streamlined the UX into a, a simple search bar, and that's how they got through. Um, and then you know you can, we can kind of go back to IDEO's storied history. They were helping uh, Apple design its first consumer Apple Mouse, right? Some of the founders, Will Morgridge, designed the the first laptop, which was funnily enough inspired by the uh, design of the traveling businessman's briefcase. And that's why you have that clamshell design where you open up the briefcase and you open up your laptop and you slip it into your laptop. That was where the inspiration came from, right? And from that. Uh, we started digging into uh, the world of user experience and and beyond. And, and really, that's the roots of IDEO and sort of where uh, sort of design comes in. So design and technology um, and business have always had a very tangled and intimate relationship, I would say, especially in the Valley. Um, and this is sort of the spirit that we bring through in Strange as we enter the next era of AI and AI infrastructure. And I can share a little bit more about why design is so crucial um, to this next frontier of technology. For some of the listeners who might not be too familiar with the venture capital world, how do you explain what a venture capitalist uh, does? It sounds like it's such an easy job to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of young uh, young students and they're like, I want to be a VC. It sounds like fun. And I'm like, yes, it's fun. It's some, one, on one hand, it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. Mm. You get to meet incredible founders learn what they're doing, you get a peek into the future, and you get to back them uh, and support them with, you know, capital, creative capital, and more, right? So that's the best part of the jobs. Uh, the hardest part of the job is, uh, I mean, venture capital is, is quite a, um, you know, it's quite a specific sort of um, uh, financial tool where we invest uh, basically money into early stage startups. Mm -hmm. 
in hopes that they would grow uh, and return, you know, sort of money to our LPs or our investors. And that's what venture capital is. Hmm. Where are you drawing the money from? Yeah, so great question. So we raise from, uh, it's a pretty broad capital pool um, and different VCs have capital sources from different places. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could come from what they call fund of funds, which are big funds that invest in small funds Mm -hmm. and they pull together capital from, you know, high net worth individuals or family offices or foundations or endowments. So it's pretty broad. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say fund of funds, family offices are a great source uh, of capital, high net worth individuals. And sometimes even other investors uh, who mm, pull money mm. into the fund. What's the size of the funds that you're running? We're running one fund. I think we're targeting about 25, 25 million. Okay. Yeah. So the money comes from those uh, individuals and institutions that, that you just uh, mentioned. Yes. I think there's a, a view that capitalists, not everybody, and you probably won't fit into this uh, description, but certain capitalists might not value creativity as much as, say, you and I do. Yeah. And even, so for instance, just to take the, the writer's strike uh, as an example, that's an expression of the tension right now between creatives and capitalists, right? So what do they need to do to get along? And that's one example, but there's always, I, I think there's always this tension, you know, capitalists are trying to make things more efficient and produce more and to put it bluntly, make more money. On the other hand, creatives and creativity require time. And sometimes inefficiency uh, is the thing that can lead to creativity and more, cre- more creative output and more unexpected output. So there's that inherent tension between capitalists and those who seek efficiency, right? And then creatives are, to some extent, the opposite. What, uh, what do you think about that? You know, I think the tension is there because, uh, you know, there's always going to be tension on like, you know, kind of keeping it um, streamlined or or focused. And in some ways, and in some ways, and this is going to be a little controversial, in some ways, it is a little helpful um, if, you know, um, to have a little bit of that pressure because it keeps sort of, um, if you can kind of see through some of the pressure is related to what uh, the consumers or the market wants sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes I think the, the job of the creators is to kind of cut through the noise the, the, and the pressure and figure out, is there any sort of nugget of truth there where it's like, they're trying to point you towards, you know, what they're seeing there's need or there's sort of economic value, but eco- economic value is tied to sort of consumer wants, right? Uh, there. So I think there's sort of, a little bit of a, a reframing there that creatives kind of need to happen. I mean, with the writer's strike, I think that's just a lot of pure greed <laughs> that's going on. And I think that uh, there's a lot of selfishness that's going on. So I'm not advocating <laughs> for that uh, at all. Um, and I think that, you know, um, there's a really great saying where uh, it's, it's not you get what you deserve, it's you get what you negotiate. So I think creatives have to, be, have to get better at negotiating, right? And I think... Mm. I'm excited to see more mm. capitalists like me because I think creatives need to be part uh, of that table, right? They, we need to be at the table. We need to be at the cap table. We need to be negotiating and demanding for more economic value to be returned to creativity. Have you invested in design founders? Yes. Maybe two out of four right now are design founders. Oh, so 
right now, yes, but you know, we'll head to about 30, but I think for, yeah, for, uh, for the strange portfolio, I would say, uh, you know, some of them probably lean in between creative, creatives and technology, but they're, you know, they see themselves as designers too. Yeah. What advice do you have to both, you know, technical founders and creative slash design founders who might not have the chops of, you know, managing numbers, managing the capital, what advice do you have to them? I would say to see capital as a tool. Um, and that was the biggest learning for me um, as I transitioned into this world mm. was that I started seeing capital almost like a tool. You know, it was like a design tool for me. How can you leverage capital to um, create more change, to create more impact, um, you know, to even build a vision or of the world that you wanted to see. Uh, and in terms of numbers, it's not hard. I think creative people are extremely technical, you know, and when you look at an Excel sheet, it's basically code sometimes when you're looking at like formulas and numbers, it's very, very similar, right? And there's certain concepts that you kind of have to learn and grasp, but they're not, I would say myself personally, not more complicated than learning how to code or in a designer's um, uh, example, mm -hmm. using pretty complex technology, like honestly, like Photoshop or Illustrator or Rhino or, uh, you know, Grasshopper. Yeah. Any of these tools or Blender, or, you know, I could go on, but those tools are not easy to use. Yeah. Those tools are not easy to use. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think business is very much the craft of uh, telling stories or storytelling with numbers. So instead of sto storytelling with pixels or words, you're using it numbers. That's all. Right, right. You mentioned about your own learning about the way you put it was, you know, seeing capital as a tool. Can you, can you share with us your own learning experience where you learned that lesson? I mean, I'm kind of self-taught everything, you know, I, um, uh, you know, learn how to code, uh, especially when I was at Harvard. And then at the same time, you know, um, went to a lot of business classes at, at, at the Harvard Business School. And that was fascinating for me because I started seeing um, sort of those worlds and languages kind of build in. And I, you know, kind of learn all the financial models and terms like discounted cash flow and, you know, annual returns. And you start looking at accounting. Um, and uh, all I can say is that, you know, just, don't be in intimidated by, by the numbers. <laughs> mm. uh, and business is very much about storytelling as, uh, as design is. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's definitely a lot of, of, of sort of relevance there. And, and designers and creatives are incredible storytellers. Incredible yeah. storytellers, right? Mm. Yeah. So you just have to pick what, what you tell that story with, whether it's pixels, you got it. code, or numbers. Exactly. That's it. Yeah, excellent, excellent. <laughs> so what advice do you have to more traditionally defined creatives and designers and even artists who might be great in that creative, you know, making of the creative expression, but not, might not have the, the technical chops? What, uh, what, do you, what do you tell them? I mean, I would say uh, partner with someone who can code. And, but, you know, I think the, the design skills are very translatable hmm. i think design does two things very well that um makes uh makes them very suitable 
to building companies, right? This guy, design discovers and design distills. So by discover, I mean that, you know, in the, in the sort of the divergent creative process, uh, you know, you come up with ideas, it's very generative and you're able to keep an open mind and have possibilities. Mm. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a, an insanely valuable skill when you're looking at um, building companies, because whether you're a huge enterprise that needs to innovate to stay ahead of its time, mm-hmm. or you're a young startup, you know, trying to, to, to tweak the product or build a product that fits the customer need, you need to be iterative, you need to be uh, creative, and you need to be open-minded, mm. you know, and I think that's a, a very unique trait that design brings to the table. And the second one, which I think is less talked about, is design distills. So if you, you know, talk about Dita Rums, it's all about distilling design to its core essence. And I think that lends itself very well uh, to building companies. Brian Chesky, um, CEO of Airbnb, who has yeah. a creative background, had a great talk at yeah, Figma yeah, recently. Yeah, we yeah. saw that where he talked about the moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. They had to redesign the company, right? And they had to figure out what does it mean to, to build a company from scratch? Yeah. Um, but I think that ability, uh, and I use this a ton with my technical founders, is with everything that you're trying to build, this big vision, can we distill it into what are you actually making and why is it useful for the world? Mm. And that distillation process is extremely important. I, I love that articulation, design discovers and design distills. I don't think it to- makes total sense. And I wholeheartedly uh, agree and sympathize with that articulation uh, and this uh, it's actually the first time that I've I've heard it that way so thanks for articulating it so uh, beautifully yeah so what's your general view on the threat of AI on human creativity so my contrary view is that human creativity will be at a premium in the next five to ten years and I think there's so much fear right now about AI is going to take away our jobs is going to make creators absolutely not what I think we don't talk about enough is that these um, artificial intelligence models, and this is where strange sort of strange loops come in, is that they are trained on um, content and creation and creativity. And at some point, uh, if we wiped out human creativity or original content, if we wipe that out, then, um, you know, what does it have to train on? We start running into... Um, worse and worse models, more mediocre models, right? We kind of get into the suburbia of content where everything starts to look like the same, Hmm. right? So um, I think that when it becomes easier and easier for, um, you know, anyone to just churn out or generate just things and objects and artifacts, I think we need bigger ideas and more original ideas in order to stand out. Yeah, I, I think that to your point, human creativity will be, the way you said it was, you know, human creativity would be premium. Uh, I would invest in fine art, very tangible human creativity. The expression of that is like fine art, pure art. Um, you know, things like paintings and things like that, things, things that are being made by human hands. Yeah, yeah. But I guess putting my business and commercial hat, like fine art uh, is great in many ways and maybe commercially viable as well. Yeah, absolutely. However, it's highly dependent on the individual talent. Yes, right. And it doesn't necessarily scale. And there's a lot of storytelling in in art in general. So what differentiates painter A versus painter B, 
they might be technically skilled the same, but one might be a better storyteller than the other. Therefore, their art, the value uh, increases. You know, that's the, the world of art. But in the, the world of uh, commercial art, let's say film is one, one area, uh, design is another area, one could say. And in those areas where AI could replace the tasks that were being done by human beings prior, like say, I'm just going to use a very plain uh, example, like designing pages, for instance, you know, that's potentially a task that machines can take over, then what's, uh, what, what should a human do to make themselves relevant? Fine art is um, an artifact in time. And that's what gives it this value. It's a reflection of human civilization at that moment in time. Mm. And that's why we find, you know, whether it's uh, Monet interesting or, uh, or, or uh, uh, you know, a Pollock interesting, because it was a reflection of sort of the human consciousness at mm. the time, whether it was the rebellion of the 70s and beyond, right? Um, or a breaking out, Dadaism, whatever. You know, it was a, it was a response to the times. Um, but, uh, in commercial art, I think the way to think about it, yeah. the way I would encourage, um, creatives to think about it is to reframe it, right? AI will enable creativity to scale like software. That means that if you're a designer and say you create a, um, whatever, a character for an animation, right? Uh, maybe let's say a, a kid's animation, whatever. Uh, it can now be easily scaled across mediums, you know? You can now, you know, say, turn it into different formats. You can turn it into a game. You can license out that IP to a game maker really easily and start earning royalties through it. Uh, it can scale across languages really easily. Um, you know, so being able to translate across languages using voice AI or, or text-to-speech synthesis really easily. So it really enables us to scale like software. That's not to say that there won't be a transition period. I think we're in for a little bit of a rocky time because... We're stuck in uh, economic infrastructure that's dated, mm -hmm. right? It's dated because it's stuck in the industrial age. It hasn't been updated. I would argue a lot of the um, sort of the, the what's happening in Hollywood now is because the, the contracts are still stuck. You know, it's not updated. It's not updated to reflect consumer consumption and market demand. Right. And that's where economics infrastructure has to keep up. And this is the same thing that we're doing right now. One of the companies that we invested in is called Wave. And they're building a generative AI model with IP and attribution baked in into the model. So when you, um, you know, so they would work with, say, an IP holder to create a model based on that IP, say, for example, I don't want to name names, but maybe an IP holder. And then this IP holder can then license out this model to, individual creators, game studios, whatever, Hallmark. Uh, and if their model is used, they get royalties and dividends kicked back uh, to the creator itself, right? So that's an example of a new economics infrastructure that would power the creative economy. Um, so all that has to be updated. And in that updating, there's going to be um, a little bit of a transition. But I think there's also a ton of opportunity. You know, uh, in my blog post, I talk about, you know, sort of brand guides, are over and brand models are the future. So imagine if you were a creative ad agency, uh, you know, when you do, when you work on a, a project for, for say a client and you create a brand identity, a brand system, 
what if you could, you know, still keep to the creative process and create a, a, a sort of a, a design system, a brand system, but you feed that into a model so that the client can generate any assets, you know, for social media or events or a mailing list really easily. And your job as a creative is not now, not just to churn out the social media assets, but your job, your job is to fine tune and train and refine that brand model. Because brands, brands are evolving, right? Brands are living. So what if you could say, hey, I'm looking at all this feedback that you're getting from your customers and where your product is going. I think we can tweak the language to be more like this. So your job really now is fine-tuning and training this brand model versus mechanically churning out, say, these assets, right? So it's a little bit of a higher-order thinking, um, but I think that's the future. And you can charge for it, right? You can charge a retainer model. Yeah, the, another analogy or the, another interpretation that I just... What you said reminded me was editor versus a writer. So before, creatives were the writers and they were making things. Mm -hmm. um, and there were creative directors and other curators who were picking, oh, let's go with this, let's not go with that, let's tweak this, and then put it to the, to the world. But what you just said about uh, system versus model is that a human being will be the ones to be tweaking and fine tuning for the final out to, output to be to be better. But inevitably, the future that we might be heading into is we need less people than we used to. Before, because we needed we needed creative editors and then creatives to do the whole thing. Now we're kind of saying we need less creatives and maybe slightly more creative editors and, and tuners and curators, but not as many. So do you think we're seeing the world where we'll end up with less creatives in a, in a traditional sense? No, because I think there's going to be more opportunity. I think there was a, a great article. I want, to, I, want, I want to share the statistics where it was like, mm. AI is going to replace like 70 million jobs, but create 90 million more jobs, more opportunities. Mm. So that actually nets out more. Uh, so yes, I do agree that um, we're going to need less bodies to create something, mm. but there's, there's going to be just more opportunity around. I see, I see, I see. Yes, so we, we may not need 500 people to move an elephant. We may need just 10 if you had a, you know, sort of a, 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 a trailer, for example, yeah. but then you could move more elephants. <laughs> it's a bad example, but you kind of get what I mean. Uh, but there's, I'm going to dig out a statistic for you because I think it'll be super helpful. But the, mm. the number of jobs created would be actually in that sum way more. Yeah. Another topic, one of the questions that I had around AI versus human creativity, a lot of the tools and a lot of the companies that are creating AI tools for human creativity, for creativity, I think there's a lot of efficiency talk. And it, a lot of it is about operations. So, you know, you, you talked about AI will enable uh, creativity to scale like software, which I, I, I see the point. Yeah. But I think that scaling comes from the operational aspect of creativity, like language, instead of just producing in one language with the AI, you can produce that in you know, 17 different languages all of a sudden, right? So that's an operational thing. But it's not necessarily making the original creative work better, is my sense. What do, what do you think? Yeah, 
Well, I'm, I'm going to balance the question back to you. Have you used AI in a creative process? Yes, in terms of brainstorming. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, in terms of showing a proof of concept. But very carefully when it comes to the final execution. Mm-hmm. You know, using AI as a tool and as a tool, as a brainstorming tool, at least you start from something. You can kind of dis- disregard it, disrupt it, kick it around and, you know, or, or build on it, right? But it sort of is that creative sort of partner um, you can start, you know, kind of going with. And for me, that's part of the creative process. I've run brainstorms um, using AI, like a pure AI uh, workshop. Um, and that was interesting because it got the uh, participants at a sort of, it just caught them up in terms of knowledge very quickly. And so they were able to um, start creating, uh, being creative with ideas because they had the context. So for me, I think AI gives a lot of contextual intelligence Um to mm-hmm. the creative process, you know, so part of the research research part of creativity, I think it's shortened. And yes, that's efficient, but it also just gives you more room and more sort of meat to to to, to create on. Um, I mean, strange itself was a was a uh, the name was uh, a product of a creative brainstorm with um, with GPT four. Was it? And it was, it was, and it was such an interesting process. And I was sitting at the SF MoMA, which is an art museum in San Francisco. And I was looking at this artwork. I can't remember what it was, but it was, you know, beautiful clouds and sky, you're lying on a beanbag. And um, I was looking for a name and, you know, in venture, all names are taken. And I started thinking about AI and art and creativity. And um, I started, you know, sort of was thinking about like, historical concepts and uh, technical concepts and trying to find something that resonated. And it was such a great sort of, you know, it felt like it was, I was playing like squash or tennis. I kind of lobbed it a couple of ideas. It would send me back. And I was like, eh, not interesting. Or can you tell me more about that? And it was all about the research, right? So it gave me some historical context around uh, artificial intelligence. We started going into the concept of strange loops, which in AI is uh, sort of the dilemma of human consciousness. So when, a, when, a, when an AI model is conscious of itself, that creates a strange loop. And then I realized that strange loop is also present in math and music uh, and in art. If you know Escher with the staircase, the never ending mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the strange yeah. loop, right? And that's where strange sort of came from. Um, but it was fascinating because I think if I did that with a person, we may not have had that sort of repository of knowledge to kind of keep going back and forth. Wow. So just to play back, you were sitting at the MoMA, SF MoMA, and you were thinking about what name to your, your venture. Yeah. And you were just like typing ideas into ChatGPT. Is that right? I was just asking questions. I was asking questions. I was like, can you give me, you know, like... Uh, seven pivotal historical concepts in mm. machine mm. learning and artificial intelligence or human consciousness or the concepts of human intelligence and machine intelligence. Wow. It you knew I was looking for something related to creativity and artificial intelligence. It knew that it had that context to really. And then it gave you, it gave you strange root as a concept. I mean, it gave me a, a lot of uh, strange loops and that was how it started. And then I started doing like, what is a strange loop? Right, right. And then I started digging into 
yeah. the the history of it, the con, the technical concept. It's a very technical concept. And then I found that it had a relation to to art. Mm. And then that was when it was like, oh, this is this is magic. And then I started thinking about strange, and I was like, it's such a bold name. And it turns out that it's maybe a little too bold for venture capitalists. <laughs> it's a little too strange for me. And no one had, you know, no one took it. And so I kind of leaned in and, and just kind of, you know, took the brand because I was like, it just felt like it was perfect and uh, just just a little bit, you know, sort of just a little bit strange. Um, but it was great, and it, it sort of fits into early stage venture and the whole business of. Um, yeah big ideas, right? That always seem a little strange at the start. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful story and such a, such a fitting story for this conversation about AI and creativity. Oh, thank you. That was part one of my conversation with Tara Tan, a designer turned capitalist and the founder of Strange Ventures. What was unexpected was that she made that decision while she was attending Harvard Business School. She entered Harvard as, um, as a way to pursue her design career further. Uh, she's got a master's degree in design studies. So she didn't go to Harvard thinking that she would become an investor, but that's the shift that may, she made uh, during her graduate studies. And the way she expressed that pivot was really unexpected and somewhat unusual. She used the word breakup. She broke up with design when she was at that Harvard. And I don't think I've heard anybody talk about a job or career in that way. And that made me realize that design was really her first love. So Tara, in a way, is a fellow designer, at least from her background. She's now on the other side of the table, me as a creative and her as a capitalist or creative turned, a designer turned capitalist. We look at the same thing from different angles, but I really, really felt the close affinity to the way she thinks about and the way she talks about design. So the three key takeaways from this part of my conversation with Tara are as follows. Key takeaway number one, design discovers, design distills. Number two, design is storytelling with pixels. Business is storytelling with numbers. Key takeaway number three, AI will enable creativity to scale like software. Point number one, design discovers and design distills. This view of design in a way is not new, but I think this was the first time that I heard somebody articulate design this way. Design discovers and design distills, um, the repetition of D is really, really clever and makes the phrase memorable. I don't think I need to explain the meaning behind uh, from this phrase because especially if you are listening to this podcast and if you happen to know a thing or two about design or if you are a design practitioner, you know inherently that this is what we do when we look at a, a, an assignment, when we look at a problem, when we are thinking about what it is that we should be making, the first step 
is to look for、um, what it is that we're trying to solve. You know, what is the question that we are asking? And what's the real problem? I mean, there may be a given problem,、uh, either from the client、uh, or from a business person, from a capitalist、uh, to solve. But behind that ask, you know, is what is really the question that we're trying to ask and what's the real、uh, problem that we're trying to solve, particularly for the end user. So design discovers. And once you、uh, discover the right problem that you should be solving,、uh, before you make that Solution into a tangible thing, you really have to distill、uh, the problem into a, a certain hypothesis. And then from the hypothesis, you have to create a solution by distilling to the core essence of the, the question that you're trying to, to address. So, design discovers, design distills. I thought it was such a,、uh, an elegant way of articulating what design is. Key takeaway number two design is storytelling with pixels. Business is storytelling with numbers. Again, this view is not necessarily completely new, yet I don't think I've heard it articulated so elegantly and so eloquently. When she says pixels, she doesn't necessarily mean pixels on screen all the time, but these days, majority of design that we do, whether it's digital product design, Graphic design,、um, interior design, industrial design, or even architectural design, the vast majority of the work that we do happens on screen. And you are looking at the expression of your ideas as pixels, as you are forming those ideas into a tangible thing. And, but behind it, there's an intention that you're trying to. Make either visible or usable uh, to, uh, to the end, end user. I really appreciate the way she used the word storytelling in the context of this particular point. Design is storytelling with pixel, business is storytelling with numbers. And especially those of us who run a company, looking at numbers, looking at spreadsheets, you know, before when I was a pure creative, when I could focus purely on The making aspect of the business, I had the fortunate and perhaps immature position of not having to look at spreadsheets and making ends meet to make sure that the business was running and big business was healthy、um, in, order to, uh, in order to sustain and grow the, the company. But now, I'm in the seat of running a, a company. I don't necessarily consider myself a capitalist, but、um, I do know that I have to play with capitalists. And numbers do paint a picture. And by painting a picture, it's trying to tell a certain story. And you o k n when w I say paint a picture, I don't mean just to. Cover up the dirty secrets of your, of, your, of your business, but using numbers as a way to tell stories. Also, in this context, design is storytelling with pixels, business is storytelling with numbers. I couldn't agree、uh, with her more. Takeaway number three AI will enable creativity to scale like software. This is, I think, a rather new concept, especially with the, the rise of generative AI. Until about a year, year and a half ago, when we couldn't really use ChatGPT, Midjourney, and other AI tools that we are now increasingly and very rapidly becoming familiar with, the advantage of tools 
like MidJourney, ChatGPT, and other tools is that it's not just about increasing productivity of what you do, but also increasing the scale of the work that you produce. And if not used correctly, I think it does have the danger of doing real damage, as we've seen with social media. But at the same time, social media has brought a lot of scenarios that weren't possible 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a reality. I think that there's a very high possibility with the help of AI, design can scale in ways that we cannot imagine today. So, to summarize, key takeaway number one design discovers, design distills. Number two, design is storytelling with pixels. Business is storytelling with numbers. Number three, AI will enable creativity to scale like software. So, that was part one of my conversation with Tara Town, a designer turned capitalist and the founder of Strange Ventures. If you are listening to this on Spotify, there's a QA field, so please do send us your questions and comments. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, and if you like our podcast, please leave us a five star rating. We'll be so grateful. In the next episode, we dive deeper into the business of creativity, technology, and investment. She shares specific tips on what she looks for in founders, and it's super useful for anyone running a business in the age of AI. Stay tuned. I'm Ray Namoto, and this is the Creative Mindset. See you next time.